You're listening to The Real Investment Show. A um, couple of things to get into this morning, of course, um, you know, as we you know, kind of look out, you know, as I was saying a minute ago, you know, looking at the economy and looking at the markets, you know, this is the time to start putting some ideas together. We've had this correction and, you know, it's something we've been talking about over the previous couple of weeks. If you go look at our previous newsletters, you can go to our uh, website, realinvestmentadvice.com, click on the newsletter link. All the archives are on the right-hand side. And you can go back to the beginning of November, the second week of November, read our newsletter. And we were talking about raising cash, um, you know, that we were going to have a correction in the markets. Markets were very overbought. And that the first couple of weeks of December typically have some weakness because of mutual fund distributions. That got pulled forward a little bit, I suspect, because of the Omicron variant um, and concerns over the Fed and, and being a little bit more hawkish. So we've had this very good correction here over the last couple of days. Markets are now, like I was saying, markets are now getting oversold. So start making a list. That doesn't mean go out and just start jumping into the markets today and buying stuff because I have a sneaky suspicion that even though we're going to have a nice rally today, we're not quite out of the woods just yet because we still have about another week of these mutual fund distributions going on. And again, a lot of these mutual fund companies, they have very low cash levels and they have a lot of uh, gains to distribute. Now, a lot of it may have been done. I, I don't have you know daily access to you know what these mutual funds are doing because they only report once a quarter. Um, so maybe they did a bunch of the selling over the last couple of days. It's possible, right? It's, it's possible, and that's what led to some of the big downturns in the markets. But again, just want to be a little bit. All I'm saying is just be a little bit cautious. There may be some more pressure on markets, but we're getting oversold enough on a lot of different levels to start looking at putting some money back to work. So how do you do that? You know, we'll go find stocks that you want to own or. You know, or even just look into your portfolio and say, look, you know, I own uh, ExxonMobil and it's had a big correction. I'm just I'm not saying and again, I'm not saying buy ExxonMobil. I'm just using it as an example. So don't run out and say Lance bought, said buy ExxonMobil, um, <laughs> you know, but let's say you own ExxonMobil or something or an Apple, you know, inside your plan um, and you've had a big correction in it and you've wanted to add more to the position. Well, now's the time to start looking at that. Now, what you want to try to do is, as I was saying in the first segment is, Try not to buy stuff that's just going straight down. There's some stocks that are just literally going straight down right now. Um, a lot of these are the more speculative names in the market. Some of these uh, companies that really lack a lot of fundamentals are having very big corrections. So try not to buy something that's just been declining steadily for the last four, five, six days and hasn't shown any signs of, of you know, kind of life at this point. Try to find things that, you know, have bottomed. They've stopped going down. You know, the market was down one and a half on 1.6% yesterday. Find stocks that were down half that amount or less. Um, or even better, find stocks that are starting to bounce and go up. It's better to buy things on the way back up where you can clearly see the bottom is in than trying to buy something away down because you never know where the bottom actually is. So again, to try to, to protect capital and trying to, you know, enter positions without making a mistake, it's often better to wait for it to bounce, you know, see that bottom and then add to, you know, put some money to work at that point. But, you know, this is the time to start making that list because again, that traditional Santa Claus rally, um, and I suspect we'll have that this year. Again, there's no guarantees of anything, but statistically, we should have a rally going into the year. But in this year in particular, a lot of hedge funds and mutual funds and pension fund managers, they're behind the curve. And they want to be allocated when they have to report at the end of the year to make sure they own all the right names, right? So they've got the Apple and the Tesla and all that on their books. They've, they'll buy those stocks in the last two weeks of the year. 
and make sure they have those when they report their year-end uh, holdings. So, you know, we could very well see that rally and then into the first five days of January, uh, mutual fund managers, et cetera, getting positioned for the new year. You typically have a, a decent first week. Now, once we get through those two weeks, all bets are off. <laughs> We're going to get next year is going to be a very different story economically. It's going to be very different in terms of the Federal Reserve will be raising interest rates. They'll be tapering their balance sheet. Profit margins are going to decline next year. Earnings growth rates are going to decline next year. Valuations are still extremely elevated. So there's a lot of things that suggest. Now, I'm not saying, again, don't run around and tell all your friends that Lance said there's going to be a crash on the show because Lance is not saying that. What I am saying is, is that there could be a good bit more volatility and returns next year may be a lot more muted than what we saw this year. For a variety of reasons, global liquidity flows will slow, global central bank interventions will slow, interest rates are going to uh, be higher, you know, potentially inflation, those type of problems all weigh potentially on how markets react and, and return next year. So, all right, that's my one and a half second uh, preview of how to work markets. Okay, it was, well, a little bit long. You, it was a little bit longer than that. But do okay. you think, though, it's not the emotion of investors? Because I'm getting a lot of calls after... Friday, and then we saw Tuesday, you know, yesterday, markets were down. So do you think maybe it wasn't the mutual fund distributions and hedge funds, but maybe it was actually people making emotional decisions because they say, oh my gosh, Omicron. Then like yesterday, it was a pal plunge, right? It's what no. everybody's deeming it. <laughs> but the calls I was receiving was saying, oh my gosh, this new variant. Right. And so a lot of people didn't really understand what was going on. So I think people are just well, knee-jerk reactions potentially. They, they, they are. And, and, and look, you know, at the end of the day, most people aren't reacting and like dumping all their portfolio right yeah. to, to certain things. And what the media looks for is for, you know, they're looking for a headline um, that tries to explain something. And, and look, I, I use an old example uh, back when Brent and I had first started working together uh, back in 2000. This was in the midst of the, of the financial crisis. Right. And, and so things were going on. I'm sorry, dot com crisis and things were going on in the economy and companies were laying off workers. And so, uh, you know, that morning, IBM announced that they had laid off 5000 workers and the stock was down sharply that morning. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they had, that was the headline. They laid off 5000 workers. And now in the middle of the day, the market rallied back and IBM was positive for the day. And the headline at the end of the day was, IBM's positive because they laid off 5,000 workers. Now, it can't be the same story headline for two different movements in the markets. Mar you know, the media is always trying to assign a headline. And yes, look, clearly uh, there, there are some things that do impact markets. And if you look at the market yesterday, the market was weak in the morning. And then when Fed, when Fed Chairman Powell said that, you know, got to retire the word transitory in terms of inflation and they're going to accelerate rate hikes mm -hmm. and taper the market plunge at that point so that you can say yeah there's a that's when he said it and this is how the market reacted so those two are linked but uh, again you know we're also in that process where big institutions are liquidating millions of dollars Correct. of of holdings and you know their computer algorithms and again you got to remember a lot of wall street's driven by computer algorithms so when that headline hit all the algorithms start dumping well, those algorithms also running these mutual funds. So they're part of their liquidation process for capital gains distribution is, is occurring. Yeah. Um, and as, again, as I said, we may be seeing some of that normal two-week span that's a little bit more controlled 
in terms of doing mutual fund distributions, just getting accelerated because of headline news. So Correct. again, it's always important. Look, there, we always want to assign, in a, you know, have you ever seen those pictures at the mall that look like just a bunch of crazy dots? And if you stare at it long enough, it makes a face. Yep. Right. That's human nature. When, when there's chaos in markets, we always want to find some reasoning for it. But it's always not as complex as it is. It's just simply that, you know, th things are occurring. And right now you've had very weak breath and you've had very low volume. So we wrote about this in last weekend's newsletter. I put a chart up showing the S&P and volume at price, which is showing, you know, at what prices is the most volume being transacted. And there was a huge gap between where markets peaked and the 50-day moving average. There was no volume in between those two numbers. And what that means is, is that there's no buyers at that range. So if there's no buyers in a particular range, stock prices are going to fall very quickly to find buyers that are that are a much lower level. And that's what we saw happen yesterday. And actually, I've got that chart and today's daily commentary. If you go to our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, I updated that chart through yesterday. And it shows you exactly where the markets bottomed yesterday at the uh, by the close is right where all the volume sits. Yeah. And it's right on the 50-day moving average. But that, so if you go to our website, click on our daily market commentary. You can also subscribe to it. We deliver it to you every morning by email before the market opens. Uh, but that's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. So, so really what's occurring is something that we've been expecting for some time. So no knee-jerk reaction needed. Everybody just hang yeah. tight. And hopefully we get that Santa Claus rally like we well, typically do. Yeah, no, exactly. But this is the whole point about risk management, right? So two weeks prior to Thanksgiving, we were talking about in the newsletter, talking about here on the show, hey, raise some cash, take some profits and stuff that have had big run-ups, rebalance your portfolio, add to your bonds, these type of things. And, and this is what we were talking about on the show for two weeks prior. Risk management is not something you do after the event occurs. Risk management is what you do before the event occurs. Yep. And it doesn't always mean you're right. You know, we happen to time this one pretty well, but this is why we, you know, we have all these indicators. And look, I know everybody, oh, technical analysis, mumbo jumbo, voodoo, witch doctors, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> um, you know, that it's just, it's, it's, I know it's, it's, you know, it's it, technical analysis. It's a bunch of squiggly lines on a page. Hey, I get it. Right. But it helps you understand what the psychology of the market is. So just very, and that's why our, our technical analysis is very simple. It's a couple of moving averages and some, some price supports. That's it. But what it tells you is, is what the psychology of the market's doing when things are overbought. Hey, it's time to take a little bit of money off the table. When you're getting sell signals, maybe you want to pay attention to those, <laughs> you know, because these things occur so quickly now that when the selling comes, it happens all at once, and then you start trying to, to make knee-jerk reactions, and and those actually tend to wind up being bad decisions more often than not. So, all right, quick break. We'll come back. No more voodoo. We'll talk uh, to Roth or not to Roth. And I'm going to get some caffeine. We'll be right back with Danny Ratliff. Right after the break, I'm your old science Roberts. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the daily market commentary to get our latest daily market commentary. It's on the website right now, along with our latest blog from Michael Leibowitz on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. So, to Roth or not to Roth, this is the question this morning. And we've got a lot of questions on oil this morning, so we'll get to that here in just a few minutes. So, stick around. We'll go through quick bit of oil analysis, uh, something we also said would probably crash back in October, by the way, if you happen to read our reports, which are on the website, <laughs> investmentadvice.com. <laughs> <laughs>
I like I, look. I can't. I can't lead a horse to water, right? I mean, all I can do is put the reports out there. If you don't read them, can't help you. Okay. I mean, that's that's the best I can try to do. We write every day. Anyway, but Lance, it's just too much. I know. Maybe that's the case. Maybe I should write once a month. You know, I don't know. Anyway. Well, then then you it's know, not then it's not enough, right? Yeah, correct. So, You're never gonna win. No. Um, all right, a couple of things. To Roth or not to Roth? This is kind of the big question right now because, you know, obviously still, you know, while there's been, and this has kind of been interesting, right? All year long, there's, I've, I've gotten calls for interviews and, and, you know, articles getting written on, you know, Business Insider and other places, you know, about, okay, well, higher taxes are coming. What does that mean, right? And yep. we, we've heard just, you know, repeatedly, there's been just one effort after another by the administration to try to hike taxes and nothing's happened, right? I mean, nothing's getting pushed through. And, you know, maybe there's still higher taxes coming. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, you know, the problem is we're already spending more than $100. Uh, sorry, we're spending more than 100% of the tax revenue we currently collect just on Social Security, welfare, Medicaid, and interest on the debt. And I've got an article coming out that Richard Rosso is going to absolutely love because I'm talking about the insolvency of Social Security and why you can't fix it. No matter what you do to try to raise the retirement age or you know increase the tax rate or whatever, you can't fix Social Security because of the fertility problem. You simply don't have enough people paying into it, and that's not going to change. And so there's no way you can fix the problem. And we've tried to, we've tried to fix the problem before, you know, we've raised the retirement age, we raised social security taxes and everybody's like, Oh, if we do this, it'll fix it. It'll solve it. And two years later, you're back in the hole again, because we keep adding more and more beneficiaries to the roles. We keep adding more and more stuff into drawing out of social security. So, you know, these are all the problems, but so, you know, these are the things everybody focuses on. I was like, Oh, we've got to raise taxes, you know, to fix social security. We've got to raise taxes to, you know, fix our funding problem, whatever it is. But yet we we haven't really seen anything yet, and you know one of the things that we talked a lot about this year is doing Roth IRA conversions, trying to get ahead of higher mm -hmm. taxes. So you know what what do we do now? Heading in, you know, here it is. This is the best time of the year, right? Last month of the year, time to start you know kind of thinking about your year in tax planning. You know, if you if you're going to contribute to an IRA, you have to open it this month. It has to be opened in 2021 to contribute to it in 2022. So there's things you need to be doing right now, um, but and, and you can maybe touch on some of those kind of year-end yep. things we need to do, but also this idea of to Roth or not to Roth, is, is it still something we want to do? Well, first and foremost, I want to make sure everybody understands that Social Security is not going away. Yes, there is a significant demographic problem, so I do believe it is a moving target, right? So we're going to see some things that are, you know, we'll have to have multiple changes along the way as people are living longer, demographics shift, and we have less and less children. There is a problem, right? But there will be changes over over time. And no, Richard, I do not need to have more children. Um, <laughs> yes, you do. No, no. Uh, yeah, actually, Michelle did her job. Yeah, so. oh, we've done our job. Yeah, that's for, that's for sure. <laughs> but Richard know, has not done his job. Yeah. Hey, now we're talking. I think he just probably keeled over. <laughs> so, but you know, Roth, this has been a really big, a big change in the media, a big shift. You know, forever we've seen that the we've been incentivized to or told that we need to put everything into pre-tax dollars. And now this year, because of the light that we may say, hey, maybe we're going to see higher taxes, that people are saying, well, maybe we should put funds into a Roth. And we're also seeing a lot of people discuss Roth conversions that we're not discussing them prior to to this year. And really, for 
that's that's good, right? We need to get the word out. People need to understand that Roth is a good alternative and it is a solution for many, many people. But let's take a step back and really make sure that people understand a couple things about the Roth IRA. So Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs, big, big difference, right? Traditional IRAs are what most people are accustomed to. You do get a tax break if you're under certain income limitations and you're gonna be able to deduct, deduct your contribution from your taxes. A Roth IRA you're putting in with after-tax dollars. So unlike the traditional IRA, you get the tax break. You're not getting that right now, but you get something a little bit different further down the road. So traditional IRAs, when you make distributions in retirement, you're paying taxes. Every dollar that you pull out is going to be fully taxable. The Roth IRA, you're going to take these funds out tax-free, assuming you, you meet a couple requirements along the way, which we're going to hope that you do. So there is some big, there's a big, big benefit to the Roth. Now, the big misconception people have is now we're also seeing a lot of Roth 401ks. And so we visit with a lot of people, Lance, and they say, well, you know what? I make too much money. I cannot put funds into a Roth 401k. I have to put all my funds into a traditional 401k. And unfortunately, there is a lot of, of misinformation out there. So let's clear the air right now. You can, regardless of income limitations, contribute to the Roth 401k. Another great benefit. So what you need to, to think about is, okay, most people think when I retire, I'm going to be in a much lower tax bracket. And unfortunately, we find that that's not often the case once we start stripping out all the things that you're paying pre-tax, like your, your health care benefits, the benefits you have at work, potentially pre-tax, you know, those traditional 401k contributions, um, even traditional IRA contributions. We strip, start stripping all these things away, and you may realize that from a taxable income perspective, you are you're already pretty close to what you're likely going to spend in retirement. So everybody has this misconception that we all go into retirement, we spend a lot less money, and I can assure you doing this for the better part of almost two decades now, that is not the case. So we want to be able to put this these funds aside and have some flexibility. Now, we're seeing a lot of people who are doing Roth conversions, and unfortunately, they're not really understanding maybe some of the further implications of paying these taxes now. So a couple things we need to be considerate of, especially if you're further down the road or you're in retirement or very close, and especially if you're close to 65, we want to run some, we want to run an analysis. We want to really understand what that means for you, your taxes, and a couple of other things that most people don't consider, what happens to Medicare premiums? So if you're close to 65, in fact, if you're 63 um, or older, we want to start factoring this in because Medicare looks back two years what they call IRMA. Basically, they're going to adjust your monthly premium and they're going to give you a surcharge if you make too much in income. So if you were to do a conversion at 63 or above, this is something you need to take into consideration. Also, if you're taking Social Security and you've taken it early, there's some there's potential you could have benefits withheld because this is going to be taxable income that will be counted for that. So I know we're talking about a lot of things here, and this is one thing that we do for our clients. We do Roth conversion analysis, determine how to, can we surgically go in. It's not for everybody. We, we, we find many times that a, a Roth conversion just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense for somebody. But if you do believe taxes are going to go much higher, which we do, regardless of administration, regardless of what side of the aisle you sit on, at some point, Lance, like you just discussed, we spend way too much money as a country. We're going to have to raise taxes at some point because I don't see the government making a lot of money any other way. Mm. It's, it's going to be strictly through you and I. So we need to be very careful when we, we talk about these things. A Roth conversion can be a great, a wonderful tool. We love it. But don't just go out and say, hey, I'm going to do $100,000 this year or just pull a number out of the air and say, we're going to convert. 
make sure you understand the the overall implications. And guess what? You may be better off even paying additional Medicare premiums. But keep in mind, that's going to be for a two-year period that they're going to look back to make sure that, you know, you're going to have to understand what type of income you have overall. So it is a it is a big picture that, that you have to look at. You have to look at it from the 30,000-foot view and then bring it down, bring it down, bring it down, and make sure that you're doing what's right and you're keeping as much money in your pocket. We are big, big fans of Roth conversions. We're big fans of putting funds into Roth 401ks, Roth IRAs, um, you know, but make sure you understand. Work with an advisor who can help you. If you have questions, go to realinvestmentadvice.com. We're happy to answer any of these questions. You know, sit down, have a consultation, and just point you in the right direction, if anything. Or, you know, maybe maybe we can help you here. You know, there's lots of different avenues that we can, we can help with. So just understand, though, we're probably not going to see the government spend less. No. And, and look, you're, you're right about Social Security. I mean, look, it's not saying that Social Security is going to go away. Yep. It just means we're going to have to fund more and more of it out of debt, which, again, you know, the problem is we're already spending more than 100 cents of every dollar that we bring in. Correct. Just to pay for those Social Security benefits. So, yeah, eventually you're going to have to make hard choices, right? I mean, uh, there was an article out on CNBC this morning talking about uh, Social Security trust funds now projected to run out of money sooner than expected due to COVID. And this is according to the Treasury. They're now pushing that that run out date to 2030 uh, to 2033, um, which is a year sooner. But it just means that ultimately you're going to have to put a lot more debt on the books to keep paying out these benefits. And again, when we start and, and the problem is, is that now we want to provide, you know, paid family medical leave we want to provide two years of free college we want to provide you know more you know uh, child care benefits we want to increase uh, child care tax spend more but yeah yeah yeah. Uh, you know we want to do all this other stuff so you got to keep adding on more and more and more debt which is got to be paid by somebody right and that's really the the whole point of the article i'm writing is that you know you have a demographic problem that you are not gonna you've got a problem in Social Security and Medicare. It's a $93 trillion unfunded liability. Now, the U.S. debt is currently running 29 trillion push, right? So we're pushing on 30 trillion now. You got 93 trillion of unfunded liability in Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. It's gotta come from debt. Yep. So either you've gotta start radically reforming Social Security and stop and, and stop paying out all these other benefits. You know, go back to what Social Security was meant for. It was meant for retirees. Get rid of you know, look, firemen, police officers, they get Social Security. They also have their own drop plans. They have, you know, all these other benefits that they get. You're going to have to go back and start talking about reforming Social Security back to what it was meant to be because you just can't afford it. Or you can pay for it all in debt. And then that's our kids' problem. Hey, and maybe kids. that's the way to do it. It's just it's our kids' problem. Well, that's what we've done so far. Yeah. Not my problem. Let them do it. Be right back after the break. We'll talk about oil prices coming up next. Don't go away. So welcome back to the show. Danny Ratliff has uh, been monitoring our YouTube page this morning. says we're getting a few questions about oil prices. Of course, you can always watch our show daily, live on YouTube. Um, always have a streaming banner on our webpage. Of course, subscribe to our channel at uh, the Lance Roberts Show, and we'll, you can uh, get an automatic notification when we stream. So there you go. Make it easy. Um, also, coming up next year, lots of new stuff. We're going to launch a new podcast. We're going to have a whole new channel for financial fitness to talk about all that stuff. Oh, Lance sorry, is so sorry, excited about sorry, that. I'm back. I'm back. Did you I'm back. Off? I'm, I'm yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, just I, I just dozed off there for a second. Um, uh, yeah. Uh -huh. Anyway, uh, Richard, just, you hear that? Uh, just teasing. Just teasing. Um, anyway, so we got a lot of new stuff coming up for you next year as well to help feed your 
information addiction. Um, but I got some questions about oil, so I wanted to jump over that real quick because it is kind of an interesting situation. So October the 15th, um, I've got a, a link to our website up, and if you're watching our live stream, you'll see it. Uh, the article was titled, Traders are Pushing Oil Rates and the Dollar, Are They Right? And in that analysis, we talked specifically about those things. And on October the 15th, we said, look, there's a reasonable possibility that oil prices are going to have a correction because speculators in crude oil were pushing back up on kind of short-term records. Everybody was piling into the long oil trade. Everybody thought oil was going to go to a, you know, a million dollars a barrel, you know, whatever it was. And of course, when you have that type of exuberance in anything, that typically kind of marks the peak of something, at least near term. And we were also talking about the strength of the dollar, that the dollar was going to be getting stronger and that would weigh on the commodities trade. Right. And so in this whole article, we cover this. But, you know, specifically at that time, we laid out this chart of oil prices. And at that point, oil prices were starting to push up into three standard deviation territory. Again, back to that technical mumbo jumbo stuff. But what that tells you is, is that when prices are getting too far away from their mean price and markets are affected by the laws of physics just like everything else is and moving averages provide a gravitational pull on prices so when they get too far away you're going to get a correction and all that means is that hey you might want to wait a little bit before jumping into your oil your favorite oil stocks or your favorite you know triple levered you know energy play might want to hang out a bit and wait for that correction in oil prices to occur and then make that entry well here we are a month and a half later and we've now had this big correction in oil prices. Everybody's like, oh, my gosh, oil's going, you know, what's, what's happening with oil, right? Well, this was just going to happen. And, you know, and I laid out in the chart back in October, every previous time that oil prices had done this type of a spike in price, they always had a correction. Well, here we are, a month and a half later, you're having an oil price correction. Now's the time to start thinking about adding oil and something we're doing in our portfolio. Now, look, we're, we're, we raised cash over the last couple of weeks, like we talked about. Now we've got cash in our books. And now we're looking to, to add into some positions um, heading into the end of the year. So, you know, we're looking at specific areas. Technology uh, has been performing well. Always buy leaders. Don't buy laggards. Don't try to bottom fish stuff that's not working. Buy stuff that has been working because it's likely to continue to work because everybody else that's been out there that missed the trade, now they're going to want to jump into it as well, right? So you have momentum. So stay with momentum for now because momentum is working. Value is not. Eventually, we'll get to the value trade. And when we get to the value trade, we're going to be all over buying fundamental value. But everybody else will not want to be in the market when that happens because you'll be in the middle of a major correction. But that's when value will work. Right now, it's about momentum. So find things that have been working, technology, healthcare, uh, oil prices, energy. And again, if you go back to November, December of last year, um, at this very time, we were talking about buying energy going into 2021 because it was so beaten up. Nobody Remember, nobody wanted it in 2021. Now everybody wants it, tells you kind of where we are in the cycle. So again, start looking, making your list, checking it twice here as we get ready for Christmas and start looking to nibble in. And again, this is the other thing here. We don't have to buy all the position at one time. Let's say we want to buy 2% of you know, an energy stock, EOG as an example, into our portfolio. We don't have to buy 2% today. Buy 
one, buy a half percent. So you just start adding into it. And that way, if the, if the price corrects a little bit more, you can buy a few shares cheaper. When it starts going up, you buy a few more shares. It keeps going up. Now you're back in your bullish trend. We're into the Santa Claus rally. Buy some more. Get your position to where you want it to be. But always risk manage your positions as well. You know, always make sure that you've got a limit. I'm not going to ever put more than 5% of my portfolio in any one stock. And the reason is, is that if something goes horribly wrong, I wake up one morning and ExxonMobil declared bankruptcy overnight, I'm going to lose 5% of my portfolio. That's going to hurt a lot. But it's going to hurt a whole lot less than having 20 or 30% of my portfolio in one stock. And this is one thing that people do a very bad job in their 401k plans in particular. Your 401k plan, which is a, has multiple benefits to it because you get a company match on the dollars you put in. So it's free money you're being given. And then people load into the company stock and they have like 30 or 40 or 50 percent of their of their 401k plan in company stock. Hey, it may work out just fine. And I've seen a lot of people make a lot of money that way. Right. But all it takes is one Enron to wipe out your entire retirement. And if you don't know if you're if you're too young to remember Enron, go do some research. Bear Stearns. I mean, we could go <laughs> keep going. The list goes on. Right. WorldCom, Lucent. Um, but having all your your 401k plan is your retirement. That's your, you know, I have screwed everything else up in my life, but I've got my 401k plan left for my retirement money. That's what that is. If you're going to take a bunch of risk and own a bunch of company stock, do it in a taxable account. So at least when you lose a bunch of money, you can write it off on your taxes. But protect that 401k plan as if your life depended on it. You know, people, look, if you do nothing in your 401k plan, if you just put all your contributions into stable value and you're getting 3% match on your money, you will make as much from the match on your money almost as you will make from investing in the markets over a long term, right? Because of just the way the math works. But people take way too much money with that 401k plan. Take Sorry, take too much risk with their money in that 401k plan more than they should. And more often than not, bad things happen. And it happens at the worst possible time. People that were expecting you to retire in 1999, 2000 didn't retire. <laughs> because they lost half their money. People that were ready to retire in 2007, 2008 didn't retire because they lost half their money. You've got the biggest speculative bubble in the markets ever on record in the history of the markets. When this thing does eventually crash, there's going to be a lot of people that won't retire because yeah, they've got too much risk point, in their portfolio. Lance, because we talk about sequence of return risk often, mm -hmm. and those first two years of retirement or the several years prior to it are so crucial. Right. And we have a lot of people who try to make up for lost time and they say, hey, we're going to go ahead and we're going to invest very aggressively or we've always done a company stock. It's always done very well. And you get caught. That's where people get in trouble because then you are derailed. What happens if all of a sudden your income is cut in half because you don't have the funds to rely on? That is that is a substantial issue. And so we have to be very aware of, of how to manage funds, how to protect funds. Now, everybody wants to be all in when things are great. But what happens when things are bad? Most people sell at the most inopportune times. So having that sell discipline and a strategy around that, but also understanding, you know, what is your hurdle rate and what is it that you need to make for your plan to be successful? And let's take, you know, it's always great to make money and exceed that, and which we do often. But the the goal is how how little risk can we take for you to be successful, not have to sweat it and not have to go back to work, you know, greeting people at Walmart or wherever it may be. I mean, that's going to be yeah. the key. And look, and, and right now, look, everybody at this moment right now is sitting there going, oh, pfft, you know, whatever. Yeah. The market just goes no up. No big deal. It's no big deal. The market, I've made so much money in my 401k plan. I'm awesome. 
Look, people felt exactly the same way in 1998, 1999. People felt exactly the same way in 2006, 2007. They were killing it. They were making money hand over fist. They were quitting their jobs to be house flippers. They were killing it. And then something bad happens. And, and, and this is the complacency that we get into. And again, I'm not telling you go sell everything in your 401k plan and sit in cash. I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is, is be careful of the risk that you take. Concentrated positions in anything can lead to very bad outcomes. There, there's, this is why diversification ultimately is an important thing. But that doesn't mean you have to diversify across a bunch of underperforming assets, right? You don't have to own small cap, mid cap, large cap, international, and have a bunch of anchors in your portfolio. That's not diversification. They're all correlated. Diversification is between, even inside your 401k plan, you can diversify between a large cap growth fund, a large cap value fund. You can diversify between, you know, uh, a large cap equity growth fund and a balance fund. There's other things that you can do to be more conservative with your allocation, but still be exposed to the markets and reduce your risk of a big drawdown if the market occurs. And this is why if you go to our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, go to the retirement planning section, we've got five models that you can follow in your 401k plan. Um, they're all right there. The allocations are broken out for you, and we give you commentary every week about what to do with your plan. It's free. It's on the website. All you got to do is go there, realinvestmentadvice.com. Just go to the retirement planning tab. So real quick here for the break, uh, uh, for, actually, before we wrap up the show, you got, you got about a minute and a half. I-bonds. I-bonds. So lots of questions about I-bonds here recently, and you you probably received these as yeah. well, and lots on tips too. Uh, anything from an inflation perspective. I, I, unfortunately, though, with some of these things, we may be a little bit late to the party, just like right. you know, it often happens. But I-bonds are one thing that are a little bit peculiar for most people because you actually have to go to Treasury Direct to purchase them. You can only purchase $10,000 each year. So there's not a whole lot that you can put into them. But you need to understand a couple things about I-bonds. One, they're typically 30-year bonds. You have to hold them for a minimum of 12-month period. And if you sell them prior to five years, you're actually going to face a uh, penalty of three months interest. Right. But the interest changes changes on them. So while this last CPI, you know, was pretty nice. It was right. it was over six percent. The next one may not be, and so people are expecting to continuously get this large. Everybody, yeah. You're seeing articles saying, "Oh, you want to make seven percent? Go buy an I bond." Right. Yeah. It it, no. Yeah. It changes very quickly, and and pretty much inflation will drop, and just Correct. your your changes, inflation will fall, and so yeah. A lot of, and again, you know, for most people investing money, you know. $10,000 in the I-bond, you can actually do better with that money elsewhere. Correct. So. You could have bought equities and done just fine. Bingo. All right. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate it so much. All right. That wraps up the show. Get by the website. Look, there's, I, I like I said, I can't lead a horse to, you know, water and make it drink. You know, there, look, there's tons of stuff on our website to help you manage your money better from our retirement planning to our insurance to um, our, our investment and insight tabs. They're all on the website. Tons of stuff there for you to help you manage your money better. Do the right things with your money. That's what we do here on The Real Investment Show is try to help you manage your money better. Realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you tomorrow on the next edition of the show with Michael Leibowitz. We'll talk about what the Fed said and what it means for you and your money as well. See you then. Sign up for The Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.